Hey everyone, this is Odie Spinelli and you are listening to Unstability Podcast. I am here with my co-hosts, Helena St. Terror and Heather Jackson. All right, and so today we're going to talk about attachment, um, but like not so much diving into like childhood attachment theory, but more diving into like how does that impact adult relationships? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> this is always a very fun topic. <laughs> is it, well, I feel like it's been a really hot topic, like the past like five or so years, especially in like self-help influencer realms and like oh, therapist yeah. realms. And like, I don't know if I'm at all responsible for that in a bit, but <laughs> I feel guilty. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think one of my favorite attachment style memes, it's like, ladies if he knows all the zodiac signs and also what attachment styles are run he's toxic (laughs) (laughs) it's you can't win no matter what you do and it's funny because that meme originally started as just like if he knows his zodiac chart and then people are like attachment theory became such a it's they're they're evolving yeah Heather, how do you see that? Like, have you noticed that in your practice in the past, like, years that more people are like, my attachment? Yeah, I have a little (laughs) bit, but it seems to be more coming from, like, Instagram accounts versus, like, reading, like, the original research studies on it, which obviously makes sense. Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so it is the fault of those of us making posts about (laughs) Yeah, great. (laughs) Like it, yeah. Well, that's cool. So, um... (laughs) well heather you seem to know stuff that's not what gets posted on instagram so (laughs) (laughs) what is it what is the original research and you know therapist uh back background of uh, attachment theory yeah so this was taught in like psychology classes and the counseling classes i took in college and grad school the person's name is harry harlow i think i have some notes up on it but he looked at like maternal deprivation in like the 50s and 60s and that's kind of what he want like his research was around um but he wanted to like demonstrate bonds between like moms and babies and so it's kind of it's a i i guess i just recommend people to look into this study a little bit more because there's interesting videos about it but they put baby monkeys in cages and kind of like did this fucked up thing where they like some had access to like a doll and some didn't and they just studied it over time and they're like oh it makes sense that babies have some sort of caregiver in their life basically so it's really fucked up <laughs> I, that's what they can that's the thing about that's... studies in general like it's always Ugh. these academic jerks taking stuff that everyday people are just like duh you know what i mean that's so heart-wrenching <laughs> and then torturing animals or people around it then be like yes, yeah found like this obvious. oh my god <laughs> yeah i think it, it just it boils down to like it was like well we know this but we need to know it in a text it has to be like, evidence-based to- <laughs> right substantiate yeah yeah yeah. otherwise like do we really know it's like well (laughs) oh my god sorry i'm gonna be processing that for the remainder of the episode (laughs) yeah i recommend looking up the pictures (laughs) 
Oh, that's sad. No, I don't want to cry today. Heather. We're not going to put the pictures. Nobody look up the pictures. Don't look up the pictures. Heather, that's mean. Uh, <laughs> Are you trying to listen an emotional response? So, so it, end up on a pedo watch list. In short, if you rip away a baby monkey's uh, caregiver and don't give it a doll, you might end up with an insecure attachment style. And yeah, <laughs> they cry. might end up with an insecure attachment style. And so, you know, basically what we can all know without looking at the study is when in, you know, infancy and childhood, uh, people aren't given the love and security that they need from their caregivers. Um, even if it's not intentional, even if it's not, you know, whatever, sometimes it could just be, you know, a parent doesn't know how to connect in that way. Maybe sometimes they were taught, let your baby cry it out. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. Yeah. And so they left their kid to cry without any comfort or co-regulation, right? So it, it, sometimes we just had periods of time where parenting advice wasn't nice. Um, yeah, of course. And, and people, you know, <laughs> could develop attachment styles that weren't secure because they didn't feel like they always had somebody they could rely on and depend on that would be there for them in a way that felt secure. And, you know, in yeah. childhood, that could manifest as like being anxious, ambivalent, anxious, avoidant, or fearful avoidant. Um, which now we call those anxious, preoccupied, avoidant, dismissive, and disorganized when you're talking about adults, right? Hmm. And so those are the different like ways your attachment style can be insecure. The short thing to say about it is if you have an insecure attachment style, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that they took your baby monkey's doll away. You know, like, not your, <laughs> that's obviously not your fault. There's nothing you could have done about that. What we are responsible for is how we treat people today. Right. And how we yep. engage in our relationships today. Um, and so I think even though this has been um, a hot topic in, I think, online discourse and stuff like that, the past handful of years, I think it's, you know, often highlighted in romantic relationships. Um, yeah. And I don't necessarily people think that people always talk about or think about how it can also manifest in like your platonic and familial relationships. Yeah, it's uh, really interesting. Um, I actually wanted to speak on this a little because I um, have been reading this book at the advice of a friend and also of my therapist called um, Polysecure. It's a great read. I'm sure I've mentioned it before on this podcast. I can't say enough about this book. Um, I'm going to have to actually read have it. Yeah, it's so good. I found if you are not, uh, you know, into reading words on paper like me um the audiobook version is free on youtube um i think under like anarchist library or something like that so definitely check it out they have a lot of other good yeah. books too um <laughs> um but yeah no it's uh interesting i'm glad you brought up you know like the platonic end of this because it can manifest so much and like i um recognize this in my personal life a lot and I don't want to get too in the weeds on that but you know just I I do like the way that they um approach it in this book because I think the conversation about attachment styles online generally likes to kind of shovel people into these groups and like under these labels where in reality we all experience all forms of attachment styles like you know at different points depending on the situation on our mood on our environment that sort of thing you know yeah. and I think ultimately the goal is to try to maintain as close to a secure attachment style as you can in your relationships. But it's like a daily thing, right? Like you have to practice, you have to constantly stay self-aware. 
Um, and also be aware that you're gonna go through just like you'll go through a whole range of emotions in life. And like it with anything, you're gonna go through a range of these attachment styles, like it's literally just what uh, we experience as people, you know, like, it's, it's really, I like to think of this more as like an observational study of like human behavior, versus like a way of labeling people in like hardline senses kind of thing. talking about polysecure and we were talking about the different attachment styles um and as i came to understand them um through you know peering around online and seeing all the memes of course but also through um this book uh it was written by jessica fern it was published in 2020 um like i said i've been recommended this book a couple of times uh once by another friend of mine who's poly and um once by my therapist (laughs) actually and um I, I really enjoy it. You know, uh, they deal a lot. And I know we're not going to delve too deep into uh, getting the weeds too much with uh, the child rearing aspect of it. But essentially, they talk about how a lot of attachment styles are sort of developed by interactions you have in childhood, that sort of thing. Um, and what I do like about the book is that it so I, I feel like online and a lot of those conversations, you know, it's a lot of idea of uh like you're married to one attachment style for your whole life. Like that's who you are. And it's just like a hard label kind of thing. When in reality, you know, and, and like Jessica talks about in this book, it's uh, more like we all experience all of them, all of these attachment styles, you know? And I think I may have said earlier, like we, as people, we experience generally a full range of emotions, you know? So it's like only natural. We would experience all of these things, you know, um, in reaction to different relationships. But I do think, um yeah like I think it's cool to look at this not just as it applies to romantic relationships but just everyone right yeah um me personally like I can see ways in which I have grown in certain areas because I put a lot of time and attention and I think as we all do um into our romantic relationships Mm -hmm. and how we behave in those and, and things like that you know um because those are the areas where I feel like mm. I would say in some ways, like maybe people have like a shorter capacity for your bullshit kind of in a way, like your friends are likely to give you a bit more leeway, I think, in some instances and like stick it out for stuff. And they just like, oh, they're just like, oh, that's who you are and like, whatever. But like with relationships, it's like people are more inclined to, you know, seek other things if it's just really not working out or not feeling compatible. So I feel like for me personally, I'll keep it on myself. Like I tend to default to focusing a lot on working on how I interact in romantic relationships. But, you know, after like reading some of this, it was like making me realize the way that I acted in friendships, even like I I recognize ways in which I can um, start to, for example, like become avoidant towards someone that is maybe acting more anxiously about their attachment to me or something like that because that's like just how I react Mm -hmm. based on like my history sort of thing yeah but um yeah (laughs) yeah I definitely agree I have also been um recommended that book and I've recommended it to several clients and not just if they're 
like polyamorous or not, just in general, I think it's a really helpful book to go to. And I think they have a workbook now. I sometimes like workbooks, sometimes don't. And sometimes I find free ones online and will email it to a client or whatever. But that I think can be helpful for some people too, just to kind of write things out. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I uh, think that could be like a fun, I mean, if you're into doing at-home therapy exercises with your yes. partner <laughs> or your friends, like that could be interesting. Yeah. Well, and that's something too. So like, you know, when I first started like really paying attention to attachment in myself and how it was impacting my relationships, um, it was mm -hmm. for me around the same time I was like working on my BPD stuff, but that aside for now, <laughs> um, you know, I, at the time, cause for me, like you were talking about how, you know, different attachment styles can show up in friendships and partnerships. And sometimes, you know, th friends will give you a pass more too sometimes, but also for me, sometimes romantic dynamics can trigger and set off like anxieties or fears of abandonment in me that friendships can't, mm. or that most yeah. friendships can't. Um, yeah, I, sure. I used to be somebody who always had like one best friend, which like I had like, mm. I, I always call five people my best friend. I'm that person who's like, I thought that was your <laughs> yeah, best friend. Yeah, well, you same. have seven best friends. And I'm like, yeah, I have seven best <laughs> friends. But I'd always have like one person that was like my bestest best. And it was very mm. codependent. Right. And yeah. like my whole yeah. life, I always had one like really codependent best friend. And um, not to refer to my own work, but <laughs> my first attachment <laughs> scene that I put out in 2020 talks a lot about how um, my friendship with my best friend at the time um, really helped me uh, work through a lot of my attachment stuff because that was one of those friendships mm. that was just very close. And I found this really cool. And like, there's a lot of different like attachment style quizzes and stuff like that online mm -hmm. that you can take. But there's this one like kind of sketchy one it's like personality.net or something weird, but it's actually <laughs> nice. from the University of Illinois. <laughs> if you like, yeah, if you like look through the fine print enough, you find that it's like not sketchy, I guess. But oh, okay. um, yeah, it's the oh. University of Illinois. It's like some researcher um, put this specific like attachment test out, but they have you answer it for romantic partners, for friends yep. and for family members. And you can create huh. an account and over time on like a chart, it will show you like the red dot, for instance, I don't remember what colors are coordinated with what, but say the red dots like romantic attachment and you can like see where you, you know, you fell in when you took it that time. And it was really cool for me when I started doing this work on myself because I like saw my friendship attachment like <laughs> gain really strong security. And I was like, wow, this is great. You know, and I've over time been able to see my romantic um, default to that too. Not to say that like, I'm fully securely attached all the time now. Cause obviously yeah, yeah. there's going to be things in my relationships, <laughs> uh, all kinds yeah. of relationships that are going to set off, you know, old abandonment stories or, you know, just different little things that happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that, uh, I think that the way I like to view it and I, I may have mentioned this before, but that I just view security as like the goal yeah. and it's never really like accomplished necessarily. Yeah. Like you get, good with it it's like but it's like a practice yeah. sort of thing and i i definitely uh, i don't know like that philosophy <laughs> always yeah. room for improvement folks <laughs> yeah definitely i think i might have taken a similar quiz like that Odie, but i did one with my, uh, the relationship i have with my kid and it was Whoa. secure and i was like oh my god this is very helpful and it was Aww. also nice to like know that about myself with her and then she also felt that with me too which is really cool but nice. i <laughs> that's awesome. i like my heart i'm like oh 
<laughs> yeah, it's very, very nice. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was kind of cool to like see that too and be like, oh, like what is in this dynamic with her that's feeling secure and like how can that be applied to other relationships or yeah. whatever? Not necessarily applied, but what's yeah. there that can kind of help with other dynamics in my life. Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. I think I think I had a really, um, as we're talking, I'm kind of realizing this. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit unpacking of a, uh, I wouldn't say epiphany, but just something. But like, uh, I realized that I think that a lot of what helped me to, in a roundabout way, start developing a more secure attachment style was going through a grieving process with a friend of mine that Mm. passed away. Um, Because it was sort of like the most, uh, like the most vibrant, like manifestation of all of my anxious attachment, right? Because it's like, it's like the worst possible scenario. It's like, this is why I'm anxious about not being around people all the time or like not being with someone. And it was a very in a sense, like, you know, pretty codependent friendship too, you know, Um, which I can admit today, if you'd asked me this years ago, I would have told you to fuck off, like, for Mm -hmm. sure. But I can admit that. And, and like some, and in some ways, I mean, largely, yes, I think it was positive, you know, Mm -hmm. but like, there were just, there's always room for improvement, especially with two people that are struggling with mental health stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we met like an early recovery from like heroin. So it was just like, things are not always their best, um, to say the least. But uh, I don't know, I think having that experience of like being so close to someone and like losing them and like coping with the grief and like all the things that came after that really kind of put things into sort of a broader perspective for me and learning how to manage that like loss, like Mm -hmm. I think gave me better footing to start developing security with my other uh, attachments, you know? Because of course I went through different phases of, high like anxiety like kind of anxious attachment style with a lot of people following that Mm -hmm. just like worried of seeing that repeated and anytime I see it come out when any of my friends like get into a space of you know feeling suicidal or something and I'm worried you know what I mean but I've started to really like sort of develop a more uh, sense of acceptance with these sorts of Mm -hmm. things and you know, and this spills over into like things like, I mean, you know, you're in recovery. So it's like people using drugs that like you just have to distance yourself from and stuff yeah. because they're not in a place where they can receive any help or want any help or where you can, where it's, where it's safe for you to interact yeah. with that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think like in a weird way, these, you know, seemingly ultimately yes very like negative and painful experiences can help you to do this really necessary work you know absolutely honestly Um, it's really uh cool that you brought up the grief piece because like for me when I got to a place where I was like finally able to process the grief or like even get to even tap into at all um of my parents dying um particularly mm -hmm. my mother um that was something that happened in 2014 and I um never you know really let myself deal with it and then when I finally did like years down the road because she she was largely the source of my abandonment traumas and Mm. attachment issues in the first place from having kicking me out of the house when I was 12 and all these other things even though we had like made amends and stuff before she died like it, it that grieving process did such tremendous benefit for my ability 
to release a lot of that anxiety in my relationships Mm. and my attachments which like I don't think people really understand how much like a grieving process around that particularly if it's with the person who like gave you the abandonment yeah I can't imagine yeah so that was like that was a really huge one um you know and it's like even though I had security with some people before that, cause it's like you said, you know, it's not like you're locked into one attachment style. Right. And it's also, it is a process. Yeah. It's like, like you pointed out, I'm in recovery, recovery from addiction of substances, recovery from BPD and um, working towards secure attachments are three things that I will be doing for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Those are three mm-hmm. things I'm going to do every day for the rest of my life. Even if it's just by waking up early, eating a healthy breakfast, engaging with healthy friend, you know, activities, whatever. It's like, you know what I mean? It's things I have to continue to put work into. It's not like, oh, I'm a Gemini. Oh, I'm an anxious. And that's, (laughs) that's the one problem I have (laughs) with the way that like the internetization of attachment styles, which like, I'm sorry if I contributed to this at all by making posts about it. (laughs) But like when I see people put in their bio, like they, them, Leo, anxious, attached. I'm like, no, BPD. And I'm like, no, those don't have to be static identities. And the more you cling on to those things as static identities, the more you're convincing yourself that that's how you behave, the more that you're permitting yourself to behave that way and not taking responsibility for your choices and the way that you respond to your emotions. And the more that stuff is set in stone and that's a choice. Like if you're aware and you're locking in, like you're locking in, like this is uh, are you the one, (laughs) right? You're like locked in, you know, instead of just being like, oh, cool. I can like start to do something about this now. Yeah. I actually heard someone, uh, this was my friend being very facetious, but someone definitely made a joke to me once about like, I wonder if having BPD is just being in your twenties. Like, (laughs) I mean, I I I honestly will say like as somebody with BPD, it was a lot easier to deal with once my brain was fully developed and I had a prefrontal cortex that I could like make executive decisions. Yeah. I would never generalize like that in like, you know, not being in jest, but like, I definitely do see how a lot of it can just be like a developmental thing that like, or how that can exacerbate it or make it harder. Yeah. 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 yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Same with addiction for me. Like I literally got sober once I had a prefrontal cortex, not saying that that's like the thing that made me an addict or that's the thing that gave me bpd but like it really helped to be able to like make better choices for myself yeah it's crazy like it seems yeah i mean and it's not to say people can't get you know clean like at a younger age or an older age maybe you're yeah or whenever like you know yeah, yeah like but i definitely can say like for sure that the way that i used to use before i like had a fully developed brain versus like the way that i came to understand using drugs and stuff it's night and day like for sure (laughs) like seriously so like and I feel like that's why most people have like a college you know like drinking and coke binge era and then most people (laughs) most people you know just move on from that yeah most people like wake up yeah most (laughs) allegedly allegedly yeah they just wake up one day and they're like this is I don't mm." that's what I was told (laughs) regulars do that's what I was told about the normie population I think (laughs) god (laughs) yeah but I mean talking about BPD so this is something that I really do want to talk about because I feel like a lot of the time 
Um, you know, somebody who has dealt with a lot of anxious attachment in my past and somebody who, you know, has dealt with and, you know, is in recovery uh, from borderline, you know, it's always made sense to me that the conditions that cause BPD would also cause insecure attachment, right? And I think the thing we automatically kind of assume is that that insecure attachment would be anxious. And I think that's because like one of the DSM criteria for BPD, Heather, you'll know this, is frantic (laughs) efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment. And so I think Mm. when we hear that, we think, oh, well, so if somebody has BPD, they're anxiously attached. But you could also, you know, be avoidant. You could have avoidant behaviors, you know, and have an insecure attachment and have BPD. And those frantic efforts to avoid real or imagined abandonment could be not developing those deep bonds or splitting on people, right? And so there's, like, different ways for that to manifest. And so I got really curious about how that would, like, play out. And I found a study Mm. from 2020. And I was really excited. And it was very much specifically (laughs) about this. And so it was a 2020 journal by Smith & South. And I'll put the, you know, thing in our resources. But um, they demonstrated that attachment anxiety correlates most strongly with BPD traits at a rate of 0.48. So I don't know if you guys remember statistics, but mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and in R is like a cor- correlation That's... coefficient and it's anywhere between negative one and one. So the closer it is to one, the higher the correlation is. So yeah. 0.48 is pretty high. That's like, that. that's yeah. a pretty high correlation. But yeah. um, for attachment avoidance, it had still had a significant uh, correlation at 0.30. And so it was really mm-hmm. interesting to see that, um, you know, avoidance and uh, anxious, uh, insecure attachments were both like relatively similar in yeah. the study population. Um, it's almost like people are different. And <laughs> <laughs> well, and they and also said, different. <laughs> right? Well, and they also said, and you guys are going to love this because no one's locked in. It's not like your zodiac, right? Um, yeah. That <laughs> findings from regression uh, analysis indicate that attachment anxiety and avoidance interact suggesting a particularly strong relationship between attachment disorganization and BPD traits. Yeah. Hit or miss. Sometimes you're anxious. Sometimes you're avoidant. You know, it depends on the (laughs) stimuli, right? Like what's triggering you, what's activating you. And like you said, if you have a partner, like I typically would fall into the anxious camp, but when I had somebody Mm -hmm. who was super like clinged on to me, I became avoidant. I, yeah, I, I ghosted relationships in bad ways. I I feel guilty about like, yeah. Yeah. I've definitely flipped on the wrong people and it sucks because it's like all of a sudden it's like, I don't know. I feel like for a long time, I definitely was in the anxious camp. Right. Mm -hmm. And like constantly kind of chasing people, but it was just like, as soon as anyone, especially when I was younger, it's like, if anyone was too into me, I was just like, Oh no. Like, just cold feet like all the time and found myself acting in ways that I just would never, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fun stuff. Very yeah. fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But like, I mean, and as somebody who doesn't really think that diagnosis are particularly important, I'm sure you guys agree. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to get diagnosed with something, go get diagnosed, consider the implications it'll have on your medical record. Don't, but whether or not you have a BPD diagnosis and whether or not, a therapist has told you they think you have insecure attachment. You know, <laughs> if those are things that you, you know, see coming up in yourself, what I noticed for me when I was working on my BPD and when I was working on my anxious attachment or my insecure attachment, that a lot of the same tools helped both. 
Yes. You know, <laughs> a lot of the same tools help both. So it doesn't matter if you have BPD and that's your abandonment trauma or if you're anxiously attached, maybe do some DBT, you know, maybe check the facts, maybe do some accepts, you know, maybe watch a horror movie when you're sad, you know, <laughs> like, try those things, use some five, four, three, two, ones, you know, and these are all skills, you know, that are easily to look up and we can link to some in our um, daily do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, the the please skill is one of my favorites, and that can be applicable to all things. And I can't remember what it stands for, but it's just like eating, sleeping, take your meds, don't use substances mm-hmm. if you shouldn't be, da-da-da-da-da. So. Wait, let me write these down. Right? It's like the <laughs> basics, right? Yeah, it's very... I have to eat and take my meds? What the fuck? And sleep. <laughs> oh, no. Well, and like simple CBT, like thought distortion exercises, right? Like step back from a situation and like, whoa, I'm future tripping. Whoa, I'm doing all or nothing black or white thinking, you know, instead of splitting on your friend out loud, figure that stuff out and come back to it later. Stop. Take a minute. Observe. Then proceed. Yes. The stop skill. Yes. Something else I want to talk about too. So... I'll ask you guys, I guess, how you feel about this, but I see a lot of like mental health influencers and like internet therapists um, regularly give the advice that if you're dealing with insecure attachment to just find a partner who's secure, that's your best bet in having a healthy relationship. (laughs) I want to hear your thoughts before I... (laughs) I want to know... How? How do you? How do you know? How yeah. Do you, how? How, do, how do you know first, who's secure? Well, if they're on Tinder, all, they're not. Yeah. Like, if, it's like, is it in their bio? Like, is it like what? Like, how do you? Maybe if how do you know if they're already in a healthy relationship? Oh, okay. Right? Okay. If they're single, they're not. No, I'm just. Kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly avoidant or. Angry. I mean, it felt like that dating yeah. in my thirties, like for sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah dating apps fucking yeah. nightmare nightmare god <laughs> i mean but the way that i think about it too is like yeah like how do you do that do you do you what wait till you're invested and then break it off when they're not do you go hey do you have a <laughs> like what are you looking for but beyond that like where i come from secure attachment styles didn't seem very common when you yeah. you know like that right. sounds like a really privileged stance yeah i think yes. that uh god i think that that just requires so much on the parts of both people that you really just aren't going to be bringing to the table on a first date let alone a third or even a sixth and like i think that i don't know part of what is really enjoyable about experiencing these things and working through them is doing this work not just alone but with someone right because truthfully these relationships, these attachment styles, they don't exist without another person being present. Yeah. Like none of this exists in a vacuum, yeah. you know? So it's like, cause it's like, if you're single, not seeing anyone have no, then what do you anxiously or avoidantly attach to? What do you securely attach to? How do you have an insecure attachment style if you aren't in relation to a thing? Like that doesn't make sense. Like Yeah. <laughs> and it's also assuming that that can't change. So you're just like fucked, I guess. Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, again, yeah. it just like it. It's yeah. I, it's really stupid. <laughs> well, and like as a trans person in recovery who grew up poor and homeless, 
I'm sitting here like most of the people that I grew up with and most of the people that were in my peer group, right? And that are in my peer group are yeah. um, of, of marginalized identities, likely have traumas, likely have attachment, right. insecure attachments and attachment issues and stuff like that from their past, right? Because we didn't have the privilege to not. So are you telling me that I just need to date a cis white middle upper class person who didn't have mommy or daddy be mean to them? You know what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> like, should I just ask somebody, right. like, should I check their ACE score, their adverse yeah. childhood experiences, like on the first date? Like, yes, so very nice. Right? Like, I feel like they have to FaceTime their parents at the table so you can catch the vibe. Yeah. Like, (laughs) people be like, Odie, your parents are dead. Oh, no way. Your attachment's secure. We're out of here. No thanks. Oh my god. <laughs> but I mean it's like it's like telling trans people not to date each other. You know, I'm just saying, like it's like telling yeah. a lot of marginalized people just not to date yes. each other. And not saying all marginalized yeah. people not for me. Exactly. It's not and I'm not saying all marginalized people have insecure attachments, but I'm saying like we're more likely to have experienced things that would cause that. And so I just never right. liked that take. Um, but back yeah. to what you were saying, like, we do learn how to be in relationships in relationships right like you can grow from yourself and with the other person and figure your shit out with another person yeah right like (laughs) and 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 to be clear like this isn't to say like if you're just a hot mess that you should just keep jumping in relationships and hope that this will no like that's not what this means sometimes it is ideal to sit with yourself and figure out your own shit that is you know guaranteed a great way to get to know yourself and a really good way to build secure attachment and practice these styles and relationships with platonic relationships Mm -hmm. before you carry it into something more serious you know um but it's like you're not gonna (laughs) you learn so much more by exposing yourself to some things and like Mm -hmm. participating in some things and especially in this way and like if you want to build secure attachment in specifically romantic relationships you have to be in romantic relationships to do it um yeah also i think like you said like none of these identities are static so it's like you don't have to find a person to do this but i think it's more about developing rapport with someone and experiencing all the full range of attachment styles so that you can learn how to spot them and learn how to work through them and learn how to find your way back to a secure attachment space you know um yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I found sometimes like being in like really shitty trash relationships and being in a cool one now is like how does like my body feel with certain people and like that yeah. can be a really good indicator for me anyway like like with past relationships I found myself very like hyper vigilant and on edge all the oh, fucking yeah. time and like yeah. that's really shitty yeah. feeling to have with someone. And so I think that can be a really good indicator too with some of this stuff too is like, what's going on with you right now when you're with this person? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and something that really helped me too, um, to like learn to practice, like you were talking about practicing, like when I wasn't ready to be in a serious relationship yet, casually dating and learning Mm. to make decisions that broke my old patterns. For me, that was huge. Like learning to make choices that broke my old patterns. So instead of 
uh, finding somebody, infatuating myself and attaching myself to them mentally, <laughs> deciding we were going to be in a relationship and that we were going to love <laughs> each other, um, obsessing over every text message we sent, reading into things, future tripping, projecting, falling in love with a person that really, truly, fully didn't even actually exist. Um, and mm. then forgiving all of the red flags, like, oh, you yeah. ghosted a hangout. Oh, that's okay. I'm just still obsessed, you know, or like whatever yeah. r- ridiculous thing that was this pat these patterns that I would <laughs> like, play out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how about instead of doing that, when I, you know, notice that I'm feeling anxious about somebody, that means that, okay, wait, what's actually going on here? Oh, I'm not getting back what I actually want from this. I'm letting it go. You know, and so like practicing not attaching to things that aren't attaching to me was really good for me. Um, Practicing checking the facts about a situation and a person and being real about what was really going on (laughs) and taking things at a normal pace and just not choosing people who brought out that frantic feeling. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, really important to... um, be able to find a space to like take inventory of a relationship very clearly and like see these things. And I think it's worth mentioning to maybe for people that are wondering, like, you know, what is a secure attachment style Mm -hmm. look like? And, you know, obviously this can entail a lot of different specifics for different people and like their relationship dynamics and things like that. But the way that I've personally come to understand it is being able to exist and like coexist, like let your person, whoever they may be in whatever capacity, like exist in the world without either actively trying to avoid contact with them to like get a point across or like, you know, like hyperactively pursuing them to like gain their attention and like buy for it or like living in this headspace of like all the what ifs and like all of these things, you know? Um, and Yeah, I mean, I find for myself, secure attachment also kind of looks like like what you were saying, I definitely was a big, big fan of playing out the whole relationship in my head on a first date kind of thing is like, Oh, yeah, you're the one like I get it. And what I was thinking when you were talking about that is like, with it was like a behavioral like ends justifies the means thing, you know what I mean? Because it's like in my brain, it's like, we're already you know, living together for 40 years down the line or something. So it's like, it doesn't matter what you do to me today because it doesn't, you know, because obviously this is going to work out and I know you're the person and that's fucked. So like what secure attachment has looked like for me more, like you're saying, is like being a lot more hyper aware of things as they happen. Um, And for me, I've had to learn how to kind of stop and like start communicating more uncomfortable boundaries or expectations Mm -hmm. or things like that. Um, in ways that I think for a lot of people might feel unnatural, but it's like, I've gotten to a place of sort of comfort and like security with myself where I'm just like, I don't really care what it feels unnatural or sounds unnatural to other people. Like this is my relationship. Like I need to talk out and carve out the space that I need for myself to feel heard and like seen and comfortable and safe. You know what I mean? And this is something that I feel like I've only gotten to a point with in the last like year or two you know, um, so definitely new, but it's, it's, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. being able to like have really straightforward conversations mm-hmm. about expectations. And, you know, I've talked about in previous episodes, like I'm poly and stuff. So it's like so necessary to like be able to communicate all this stuff. And obviously sometimes things slip through the cracks and like that just happens with people. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I feel, you know, very much 
able to um, where I've had issues in past relationships where like I've been walking on eggshells with someone and had an impossible time articulating my needs and like my feelings and things like that and just had to get out of the relationship because it was a more abusive dynamic like now I can recognize those red flags like from miles away but I can also like articulate my feelings a lot more clearly like it used to be the kind of thing where I couldn't say what I wanted out loud to someone I had to like write it all down text it to them talk over text so that I could like have time to think about it all as I was saying it but it's like now I'm like experiencing being able to have like more of a comfort level with my partners where I can just sit there and be like hey this is what I want like can we talk about it like whatever you know um yeah (laughs) yeah and I think for me it's funny because like I've never thought that I would be with somebody for like 40 years. Like I was like, I can't (laughs) like, no, get away from me. Um, so I was like, I'll just do everything by myself for the rest of my life. Um, but the other thing that kind of helped me work through some of that too, is like my like personal politics, like being an anarchist and part, part of that for me is like, okay, like, I'm not going to assume all these things about this other person or whatever. So like it comes back to like communication and like talking things through and taking risks and talking about needs and wants versus like, I'm just going to avoid and avoid and avoid and avoid or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like to bounce off of like, you know, what hell was saying about like what a secure, you know, attachment can look like. You know, when you're talking about like you didn't feel comfortable, you know, having certain conversations or setting certain boundaries or things like that. Like I had that same experience in the past, but in a totally different way where it wasn't like I was in an abusive relationship. It's just I was trying to protect myself from perceived potential abandonment. Right. I better Mm -hmm. not cause any trouble and cause Mm -hmm. any conflict or say something someone might not like or challenge anything in the relationship because this person might leave. And I don't want that. Right. And so I spent so much of my time not even giving people the opportunity to meet my needs because I wasn't telling them my needs. Right. And so when I was in a much more sick place and I'm just saying that about myself, not anybody else, but like I'm talking, you know, when I was in my active addiction and I was still in denial about having BPD and I was, I I hurt people, I hurt my friends, Mm -hmm. you know, but I, Mm -hmm. I didn't even realize I would do it. I wouldn't communicate my needs to my partners. I would try to manipulate my needs. Right. Yep. And so it's like, that's yeah. what an insecure attachment looked like today. What a secure attachment in my relationship looks like is if there's something I need to say, I say it. And mm-hmm. even if I feel a little scared or nervous still, because I still get activated sometimes by stuff like that, not because of my partner, but just because of my history. Right. Yep. And I'm not cured. Yeah. I'm not just secure now, <laughs> but like I can trust that my partner will receive anything I have to say as coming with good intentions and will hear me and wants me to be happy. Right. And we have that mutual, that's what a secure attachment looks like to me. It's, you know, you really want each other to feel safe and you're willing to hear, you know, that there's going to be conflict, but you approach it as a team, you know? And like hell was saying, you have space to be your own person and you're not panicking when you're taking that space to be your own person. I love being yeah. by myself. 
And Beyonce loves being by herself too. And we also love being together. And I love the space that separation creates to miss each other and to have Mm -hmm. things to talk about when we reconnect. Yeah. You know, it's so nice. And I love when she has hobbies that I'm not interested in and can tell me about them and friends (laughs) I don't know. And, you know, like I love that. And so it's like, that is what security looks like to me. And also like, not frantically obsessing over text messages. The only reason I would have any concern that my partner didn't text me is if I thought something happened to her. Right. That is the only reason I would be worried about it. Otherwise I'm like, Oh, she's probably working or, Oh, she's probably FaceTiming or hanging out with a friend. I don't even have to sit here and play guessing games because like, she's a person doing her thing and she's doesn't have to be on electronic leash to me. Right. (laughs) So unless it's like, like, yeah, like one time I told her I was biking home and then I got caught in conversation with a friend for a couple hours. And when I finally did check my phone, she thought I got hit by a car on my bike. Like that's the only time she's been like, Cody, where are you? You know? <laughs> Which is valid. That's, that's yes. like, yeah. totally, that's yes. normal. Like, I'm glad somebody would notice if I disappeared. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. secure attachment looks like to me. It's, you know, you, there, there's not that panic that the other person's disappearing. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Or doing something bad or shitty or whatever. They're being a person, being their own human being. And you love that person. (laughs) Yes. I think think another way that it's, I think another way that it's kind of manifested for me too, um, in some ways is uh, like becoming okay with the idea of someone not being in my life in the same capacity sort of thing. that was something that for many years it was it was kind of like do or die you know it's like look either we're dating or we're nothing and when I realized like that I it's interesting like I feel like I've been able to start being friends with more exes and stuff over the years but also what I think that that speaks to is like far as development of more of secure attachment practices is that you become more of like a friend with your partner right and stop seeing them as just this person you're dating. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that, you know, if for whatever reason a relationship I was in currently didn't work out, that whoever I'm with and it didn't work, that we could still be friends. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, even if it took some space or whatever, like that's what secure attachment feels like to me is that like, mm-hmm. it's not that I'm guaranteed that the romantic aspect of this is going to play out forever. Like the nature of the relationship can change just like, you know, a friend can become Mm -hmm. a partner. It can go both ways. Um, But I think that for me, it's been a lot of learning to find acceptance with that and make peace with it and still be amicable with people Mm -hmm. because it's like, truthfully, you know, I don't find myself, especially more recent well most of the time like i don't find myself dating people that i hate <laughs> or something like <laughs> or just like that are shitty or whatever you know what i mean it's like like there's a reason that we're attracted to the people that we are and it's it, it's always been strange to me that we couldn't like that it's not more normalized for people to remain friends with people you know but it is because like you get too close you can hurt each other in ways that are really messed up like unforgivable and like whatever but that's been like a way that i've been trying to see it more and it's not to like approach every relationship with the expectation of it ending someday or anything like that like it's it's not like do me you know but I just I the term I like to use a lot is like um I have people that I consider to be like more like fixtures in my life right Mm -hmm. 
and it's just kind of like you know no matter what these are people that i'm committed you know securely (laughs) to like to work things out with and to maintain relationships with and to grow with and and that's because i recognize the commitment on their part to do the same thing you know um i refuse to let myself become securely or otherwise attached to someone that is not willing to match me with the amount of work that we're putting into our relationship and that goes for partners friends like anything you know yeah i mean and that's the thing like i call those people family so i started Mm -hmm. having to build a chosen Mm -hmm. family at a young age because i didn't have really much you know blood family but you know one of the people that i will always call my family is somebody that i used to date but i'm like i love you and i think you're one of the coolest people i've ever known you know what i mean (laughs) like that's not gonna change that you're one of the coolest people i've ever known like yeah but the other thing is is friendships can yes. change not too romantic or from romantic but just friendships yeah, can but change just evolve yeah and, like yeah yeah or even just with how busy you are like I have really close friends that have you know gone through grad school or you know moved in with partners and gone to grad school or like other things like that where they get really really busy yeah and yeah I don't think they're mad at me if they don't text me back right I just yeah. know that they're really busy and that if it's important, they'll be there for me and that when they have time, we will see each other and it, we won't miss a beat. And I think yep. being yeah. able to have that maturity to let some of your friendships not be everyday friendships or every week friendships or every month friendships, but I have really close friends that are chronically ill. Mm-hmm. I have really close friends yeah. that suffer with mm. you know chronic fatigue and disability and they're not going to have the capacity to always be in contact or hanging out, but oh my God, I'm so excited when they can right you know and I think security enables that absolutely yeah and you're having that space to check in but not taking it personal if they don't get back to you ASAP because it's not always about you I think ultimately secure uh, attachment really speaks to like a really specific or you know maybe broader acceptance of someone's autonomy yes yeah and like personhood you know and so I think that if you you know, genuinely respect someone's autonomy and you're not possessive and <laughs> all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And yes. like, you're, you're well on your way. <laughs> and it's being able to trust that what they tell you is what's true, right? And that's why it's important yeah. to pay attention if somebody's actions line up with their words when you're, you know, yeah. letting new people yes. into your life. That was something that I had to start doing when I was dating. And I was like, okay, I need to change my patterns because I'm choosing people that are not. Because here's the thing. For me, it's not about choosing a secure partner. It's about choosing somebody who is able to do their emotional work and to show up in the relationship, right? And Mm -hmm. so whether, you know, I have a tendency towards anxiety and a partner has a tendency towards avoidance, we can make it work. That can work Mm -hmm. out great. I see too many therapists and stuff say an anxious and an avoidant person because they're static identities, right? Right. Um, Can't, shouldn't date each other. And I'm like, well, that's not true because it's working. You know, it, it works fine for lots of people if you're both showing up and doing your emotional work and like checking mm-hmm. yourself and checking in and like working through it and giving each other that room to grow. And sometimes it won't be perfect. Sometimes yep. there's, yeah. you know, someone's going to activate the other and it might spiral a little bit, but it's okay because you'll get there, you right. know? And I think yeah. even in friendships, you know, security is more of a practice. It's more of a practice and then it becomes a feeling. Right. Yeah. And it's like, if you're practicing it, the other people in your life, regardless of where they're at, it's going to help them practice it. And it's going to help them start yeah. to gain that totally. in some of their relationships. And that's how this is also like taking care of each other. 
I don't believe mm-hmm. in like yeah. self-help and like self-care. It's all really community care because the better totally. that I am able yep. to, you know, do all of this stuff, the better I'm going to be able to treat everybody I interact <laughs> with. Yep. That's a huge reason why I've wanted to do the work that I've done is like, oh, I can make people around me feel better. That's fucking cool. Or I cannot cause harm, you know, like I can, I can have intentional relationships. Like we all have caused harm in our lives. Like it's not some big, you're bad, I'm good thing. And so it's like, I know in my active addiction and before I did this emotional work, you know, on all of these issues, like I, I had a lot of times where like, I probably hurt people. I know I hurt people. I've made a lot mm-hmm. of amends over the years. There's some amends I haven't yeah. made, you yeah. know, sorry, yeah. you know, <laughs> but like my living <laughs> yeah. amends is every day doing my work so I can show up better, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I kind of want to, before we wrap up, I kind of just want to talk about um, any tips or tricks we have for people who might be experiencing different types of insecure attachment. So I guess we can start with um, tips and tricks for people that might uh, often experience avoidance. Um, so I have I have some references here, but if you guys have any, we could crack off with those first. Um, I, I mean, just in my own personal experience, I could toss some, <laughs> like, I, I feel like, uh, Kind of the core of avoidant attachment is is uh, leaning into like isolation tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, when I isolate and like not when I'm spending some time alone because I've been you know socializing a lot. I mean like when I'm isolating, mm-hmm. like deliberately like not picking up my phone for a week and stuff. Uh, <laughs> um, that tends to be when I find myself functioning in the most toxic head spaces. Um, like we've been saying throughout this episode, you know none of this exists in a vacuum. You can't heal in a vacuum. Um, self-care is kind of a myth or at least a misnomer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think I was looking actually at this. I had heard uh, this ter- like speaker, it was like a video essay I was listening to yesterday, but it was like um, talking about this African, uh, it was talking about African philosophy and one of the ph- philosophical ideas they were talking about was like Ubuntu, which is like the idea of um, it's kind of the converse of I think, therefore I am. It's actually mm-hmm. I am because we are. Hey. And so what it's saying is like all of human existence is only, you know, perpetuated by the existence of other mm-hmm. people. And like everything that we are as people is a product of the people that raised us to be this way and educated us and like our environments and things like that. And I was really vibing with that. And I feel like it really ties into this, you know. Um, I think if you're feeling yourself or if you historically have been a more avoidant person, um, I think that doing the opposite, like pushing yourself to lean into socializing and surrounding yourself with people in the moments when you feel the most inclined to not do that can be such a great way of breaking out of that cycle, like for sure. I definitely have found that when I just make myself go visit a friend or pick up the phone Mm -hmm. or just anything, like no matter how simple it is or, you know, you don't have to like plan a big whatever, but like just doing something simple to reach out to someone and inform them honestly of like where you are can do so much to like help get you out of this cycle. And usually I would say nine times out of 10, if I actually reach out to someone in these moments, like I feel better. 
Like it's rare that I feel worse. Yeah. It's so much. It's so rare. That's you know? actually like very similar to one of the things I pulled this list from Gina Davis, uh, who has a website and is a some kind of therapist. I'll link it. But yeah, she said focus on mutual collaboration and relationships. So being independent and self sufficient. You know, you can't be that all the time. And so yeah. one of the suggestions was, you know, even taking a second to make a list of ways you can give support to other people in your life and then making a list of ways you could receive support from other in your life mm-hmm. and like talking to people about those and putting those into action. And I'm like, I really like that. That sounds like really mm-hmm. intentional. And for somebody yeah. who like might, you know, try to be self-sufficient all the time could be a really cool way of like balancing the scale. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. that's the thing, even though I yeah. lean towards being anxious, like I had to take care of myself from a very young age. I was always the person Same. people came to with their problems. Yeah. I don't have problems. I'm not vulnerable. I don't cry. I don't need support. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Bitch, you need a yeah. lot of help. <laughs> like, I just realized most people probably aren't watching this and are just listening, but I had to raise my hand right. on that one. <laughs> I was nodding. Yeah, we're all yeah, and agree yeah. that. Yeah, I, like just, the act of just asking for fucking help when you need it, even if it's like, "Can you help me move this couch?" is like, yeah, fucking really nice. Yeah, and then oh it God. feels better, and you feel yeah. better, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. I, I don't want to get too tangential, but I do wonder if there's any research on this. I would love to see like the intersection of like class and like various attachment styles, you know, mm-hmm. and, like certain class experiences, because I do feel like some of this stuff, obviously a lot of it's learned from childhood and, and past relationships, things like that. But some of it is environmental factors, you know, and there's just some shit that's really hard to shake for reasons that are totally beyond your control. And I, th- so, I yeah. would guess, and this is just a guess, that a lot of that would mirror a lot of like research around ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. Mm. I would just venture to guess that it would look similar. Um, yeah. But that's just a guess. Um. <laughs> Another another tip that this lady had was uh, she says that mindfulness is the best tool that she recommends to uh, help with avoidant attachment. And so it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, practicing being present, not accepting or being happy about, but just non-judgmentally, you know, observing and being present in the moment um, instead mm-hmm. of, you know, getting into your head about things all the time. Yeah. 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 Another one was reminding yourself of the good stuff. So, you know, and, and this is really just CBT. No, I know it's not. It's, right? Yeah, this yeah. is really just CBT, though, because it's like, don't interpret other people's behavior negatively. And unless they give you concrete evidence, she's telling you to check the facts. She's telling you to make yeah. sure that you're not casting things in a negative light. So it's still the same tools we've been talking about the whole time, CBT, DBT. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, any more tips you guys would have for people that may lean towards avoidance? Hmm. Have it. Because <laughs> I tend to have a lot for the anxious bunnies out there, which I <laughs> yeah, I I mean really uh, like for me avoidance is you know like I said just pushing yourself out yeah. of this comfort zone. I really Opposite think that action. that's super instrumental. Yeah, um, another good skill. Opposite it, action. Yes, I <laughs> give that one a lot to my clients. <laughs> and you guys got it for free i'm just kidding <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> upload your insurance card we get therapy yeah i just feel like so dumb saying it i'm like i know this sounds fucking kind of stupid but like if you're it's... sad watch dumb and dumber some stupid fucking movie it's, it's so it's 
it's it sounds rudimentary but it's real like it's so real like sometimes i get really okay like straight up before this episode i was having a really shitty day was super in my head had too many obligations on my plate so i dropped some of them i chilled out I played a stupid ass game of Fortnite, yeah, and I feel good. <laughs> I'm not saying all my problems are solved, but it's like I've got out of my head, yeah. and now I'm talking to you guys instead yeah. of wallowing. And you know, yeah. it's like just seriously, like it's yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, an opposite action can work. So, say you're an anxious bunny like myself, and you're frantically obsessing over the fact that somebody hasn't texted you, and you want to send that double, triple, quadruple text. <laughs> opposite action: don't text at all. Put your fucking yep. phone down. Put it across the room. Yep. The more frantic. Yeah. Yeah. The more frantic something feels, opposite action. Yep. Opposite action. Get that space. Get that clear head about it. You will thank yourself. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And to clarify, this isn't like if someone says like, hey, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And then four hours later, you haven't heard from them. Like that's different. Yeah. That's That's an emergency. Check on your partner if you think they got hit by a car on their bike. Like, yes. Yeah. If they say 10 minutes and it's been an hour, like maybe shoot them a text. But, you know, if someone's like, hey, I'll text you when I get home from work and, you know, they get off at 530 and it's like 545 and I haven't texted you. Like, you don't need to blow them up. Like, just wait. Just wait. Just like take a minute. (laughs) Take a breath. Yeah. Watch Dumb and Dumber. That's the go-to. I always go to for that. I don't know why. That's that's the first page of the DSM-5. Watch Dumb and Dumber. Watch Dumb and Dumber. Every every zine I put out from here on out, the first like tip is going to be watch Dumb and Dumber. I don't know if you guys saw, I made a TikTok like a couple months ago about uh, why Dumb and Dumber is queer coded. It's I think I, I did it. Now I want to. It's on. It's in my reels. It's in my. I need uh, on to my watch it. Page. Yeah. So my tips for anxiously attached people are from my own anxious attachment zine part two. So I'm self-referencing, but um, my tip number one, you guys, is to stop choosing unavailable people. Choose people that choose Mm. you. Choose people that are mutually interested in getting to know you and making an effort with you. That doesn't mean they need to be, oh, if they're not texting me back every day when we just met on Tinder, then they don't, then they hate me. (laughs) No, this means like, are they showing an interest in getting to know who you are, you know, and are, 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 are they there? Are they available? Right. Both people going into it, not just me sending 10,000 texts or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't do, but yes. <laughs> and that also plays into do your relationship styles and desires match? Are you somebody yeah. who craves monogamy and you are trying to nail down this hella poly cutie who lives in a different state and you don't want to do long distance? <laughs> Right. And you're yeah. hoping you'll just eventually I, live in the same place and be monogamous someday. It'll work out. It'll work out some, I, somehow. I think uh, <laughs> another one I would really love to toss in and that could also apply to avoidant is communication. Yes. Like communication is so important. And I know we said like, you know, reaching out to people and stuff previously, but I mean like literally like so much of this can be avoided by like 
establishing good open communication early on you know and if people get freaked out by you being direct and like asking for real things that's a red flag like (laughs) i mean for me that's a red flag like if someone doesn't want to communicate with me from the jump and then like fine don't that's kind of telling me that's one-sided and then i'll choose somebody else that's not choosing people that aren't choosing you right exactly (laughs) like if you're on tinder and you're just looking for a specific thing it's okay to be like i'm just looking to get laid tonight that's it yeah just saying or i'm just looking for a couple dates that's fine yeah yeah but we could go into that whole thing on those comments but yeah that's another episode (laughs) we won't (laughs) another little tip i have is you know both parties doing their own emotional work you know so it's Mm. like one person changing their patterns and behaviors and like trying to co-regulate and do all those things is great but if it's not also helping the other person do that if the other person's not showing up to do that on their own then it's probably really not going to work if every time you have a conflict you're the only person who's seeing what you did wrong making your amend and saying hey i see what i did here i'm going to do this differently next time so that doesn't happen and if the other person can't go yep and this is what i see i if they can't ever do that and it always just has to be you making it right yeah. That's not going to really work. Yeah. yeah. Or are you being the only one to bring up issues? That's another mm-hmm. one that kind of fits into that. Well, and yeah. so that's, and, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, in a way, I think that ties back into like having your energy matched, right? Yeah. Because I think a lot of people think of that as like someone that's as enthusiastically like physically attracted to them let's say or like someone that's as enthusiastically like seeking a long-term relationship like you can have a lot of um desires that are matched Mm -hmm. but then not having like certain core values be matched like it just it's that speaks to like incompatibility you know and Mm -hmm. also like the practices and it's not saying like you like if one person's in therapy and the other one's not, then like you should break up with your partner. Like, it's not that, but it's like, are they actively practicing these skills and like trying to develop them and like work with you to like, you know, actively participate in this relationship? Exactly. Cause like, okay, say you have a pair, you have one person who leans anxious, the other who leans avoidant. They could just set each other's uh, attachment alarms off all the time and completely spiral. Or this person could say, Hey, you know, like, I got anxious about this thing and it reminded me of this thing from the past. And so in the future, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to get reactive when that happens. Right. And then if the avoidant person, for instance, isn't also doing their emotional work and they shut down and they refuse to engage in conversation and they say they need time, but they never want to come back to it. That's not going to work. But if the anxious and the, in the avoidant leaning person both are willing to show up and do that work. If the, if the person who leans avoidant is like, Hey, I need to take some space. But because they're working on their shit, we're going to come back to this in an hour. I promise. Yep. I just I just need to get my head on straight. But I'm committing to returning to this conversation in an hour, you know, and they do yeah. like, yep. yes, that's the difference. And so, yeah, it's not saying you have to be in therapy or I'm leaving you because that's something else I yeah. try to talk about. Like, what's the difference between a boundary and an ultimatum? Mm. Right. And so, like, yeah. a boundary for me is I can't be in relationship with somebody like in a romantic partnership with somebody who is in active addiction because that's bad for my recovery and all that stuff too. However, I'm never going to tell somebody else what their chemical health is and I'm never going to tell somebody else how they have to get there. 
So right. you need to go to rehab and go to NA three times a week. And da, da, da. Not my business. How yeah. you show up for me is my business. How you get there or how that works for you is absolutely none of my business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if smoking weed is not a problem for you and you smoke weed all the time, that's it. <laughs> you know and maybe that will work for some people maybe they're triggered by weed that's a different story but like you know what i'm saying like how somebody else gets to showing up for you whether it's through therapy self-reflection or following weird people on instagram it's their business it's their business or smoking weed all the time or smoking weed all the time or doing a lot of ketamine right you know like you do you shame i I love shading you hell no (laughs) there was no shade all love all love Oh my God. So, and then my other last one that I wanted to throw out, and we've talked about this a lot already, but just like keep your crushes healthy. And what I mean by that is get real with yourself. You know when there's a difference between feeling that like new excitement or NRE, like about a new crush. A little bit of infatuation Mm -hmm. about a crush is like healthy. Yep. But are you fixated? Are you obsessed? Are you making it out to be something it's not? Do you have unhealthy preoccupation? And are you feeding into that unhealthy preoccupation? Are you able Mm. to go do things with your friends? Like I encourage people when you're dating somebody new, even if you're really excited, don't break your typical routine. Don't cancel things you typically do with your friends, right? Like still maintain that selfhood and that identity. I think some people too, um, when they are in more of a secure space with themselves and with what they're looking for in relationships, will actually find that stuff attractive too. So it's like if you're practicing these things early on and like setting healthy boundaries, communicating in a a straightforward, clear way and like living your life and like letting the other person live theirs, like that's how... This is the only way I can say that you know you're about to date someone that practices a secure yeah. attachment style. It's like if they're actively doing it in the, you know, early yeah. kind of days with some of their stuff. Like, yeah. But, you can't know yeah. one for swipe like we were saying. But like, yes. Yeah. How you know when you're building a relationship. Like, are you equally like communicating? Does nobody have that panic? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. are things going to Is there... Um, my brain just completely shut off. But what you were just saying, <laughs> are they able to engage? Are they able to engage in healthy conflict with you? Like, are they able to come to it in a place where you, you know, can solve it as a team, right? Like when I first started yeah. dating my current partner, I was like, I don't want to commit to this for real, for real until we experience conflict together. And I can see how that goes. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Um, if you're just still in that, like, pink cloud i guess that's a rehab term but like if you're still in i think that- we call it the honeymoon phase <laughs> yeah oh yeah it's not <laughs> just outing Your myself as- yeah. <laughs> i've been in uh rehab more times than i've been in relationships no <laughs> wait that might be true <laughs> let's go so yes pink cloud makes more sense to me than honeymoon phase but yes the honeymoon phase you know, like getting engaged when you're in a honeymoon phase to me, like maybe it'll work out. Maybe that's a roll of the dice, but like it's yeah. also really, uh, possible that it wouldn't. You need, you need to see how you're going <laughs> to engage, engage in conflict. Heather doesn't. Heather does not agree. I don't agree either. I don't agree either. I'm just saying like it's a roll of the dice that any relationship could work from day oh one. You know, married at first sight, yeah. right? Love is blind, yeah. you know? We got- <laughs> Shout out Love is Blind, season four. I'm waiting for the new episodes. Yo, we need a whole episode about that show. Jesus Christ. I was I've never seen it. 
What? Oh, girl. Season four <laughs> is like still coming out. So if you watch the first like eight episodes or whatever right now, there's more coming out on Friday. Catch up so we can talk about it. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> My brain came back I'm though. Le- what hell was saying? I'm leaving this in, by the way. No, <laughs> no please <laughs> leave <plug>. this. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Continue. No, now I forgot what you were saying again. <laughs> <laughs> This is what happens when we record after I had a long work day. I'm just like, oh Oh yeah, you were saying um, how you can, you know, tell if, you know, oh yeah, how it's hot to people. How How it's hot. It can be hot. Like when my partner's like has plans with somebody else, I still think that's hot. I dated somebody before who never left the house, didn't work or go to school or have hobbies or go anywhere with their friends. And I had to hang out in my car all the time because I didn't want to go home because I never got to be alone. That was so unattractive. (laughs) Yeah. That was so unattractive. Like what's attractive is when you have a hobby or an interest or you're excited about something. The most attractive I ever find somebody is when they're doing something they're good at. Yeah, and they're yeah. enjoying themselves. Oh yeah. Or like watching them interact yeah. with their friends. Yeah. You know, and yeah. like light up a room. Like <sighs> one of my partners is currently in Paris with one of their other partners. And I am so happy for them. <laughs> like straight up, just because I'm awesome. like, you need a vacation and I want you to go yeah. be doing this great thing. It's like, would I like to be there? Absolutely. It's fucking Paris. Like I want to go beat up a cop, but like, yes. I <laughs> definitely <laughs> like, I'm just, I don't know. I'm very happy. Um, I do want to say another tip that just, I thought of for anxious uh, leaning people is asking for reassurance. I think that this is something that um, should be normalized more and it not obviously there's limits yes. to this, yes. right? Like I'm not gonna say yes. like do this all day. <laughs> yes. But it's like there can be time. Like if you particularly if you find someone or find yourself in relationship with someone um who leans towards being more avoidant, right? Like just communicating, like, hey, look, I know this may sound ridiculous or like whatever. You don't have to preface it that way, but it's like, but I could really just use a little reassurance about maybe where we're at, how you're feeling about things like that sort of thing. Um, I think this ties a lot more into communication. And I think that, you know, obviously this can teeter into some like weird toxic territory if it's like abused in some ways. See, I'm going to interject and just say like, okay, I'm happy. No, let's hear it. If the avoidant person is also showing up properly and by properly, I mean like trying, then you should be able to communicate like once or twice. Like, hey, I need more affirmation. That's a need yeah. that I have in a relationship. So there's yeah. a middle ground of where it's healthy, right? And this is something I tell followers a lot who are like, I need reassurance all the time. And I'm constantly talking. When you're in an anxious space, and I know this as an anxious person, no matter how much reassurance somebody gives you, you'll always need more. You need another yeah. hit. You have to yeah. learn to reassure yourself. <laughs> And for me, Mm. that started out like, look at that old text the person sent you appreciating you or like check the facts about the relationship. But I mean, having one conversation or two conversations where you're like, hey, you know, when you compliment me, it makes me feel really good. And it, you know, it tells me what you value and like about me. And it means so much to me helping me feel secure. And then that person can say, thank you for communicating that with me. I'm going to go ahead and make an effort to tell you the things that I enjoy about you. 
you know yeah um, yeah and I, and I appreciate you <laughs> go ahead yeah I and I talk to clients sometimes about like just doing like okay like you're having like some issues kind of what we're talking about sometimes it's nice just to do like a bi-weekly check-in like let's sit down and let's yeah. like see how these things are going what needs and wants aren't being met whatever whatever because sometimes it's easier for people to set aside time to do that versus yeah. like in the moment mm-hmm. yeah I think, um, oh, what I was going to say was that I am happy you interjected. <laughs> I do want to be clear. This isn't like, no, this isn't no. a thing that I'm saying that people should be like doing constantly. People would run I mean? with like, it. I just even know like, people will run with it. Hell. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Even <laughs> like deep, this isn't, this isn't even something I would recommend doing like deep into a relationship unless for some reason, I mean, I don't know. I really like, if you're that deep into it, like it's been like six months or nine months and you don't know if the person wants to be with you, then like, I think that speaks to a deeper issue kind of thing you know what I mean um yeah. I think if you're maybe like early on and like unsure that's when I personally have found that to be more useful but like again like definitely a light touch like you're trying to get on the same <laughs> page anything. or something right right just yeah. to like yeah 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 like where are you like, at how do you yeah. know about things I guess yeah. a better word than reassurance is clarification yeah yeah. But yeah, on the reassurance like, page, because a lot of people when they are anxious, they do want that reassurance. And like I and when I laugh about things like this, it's because I've been this. I've done yeah, this. Yeah. Like I've done this. Like <laughs> and when I say like you will check for reassurance, like as much as it's given to you, like the rope can get as long as possible. You know, you'll just keep mm-hmm. reaching for more. Yep. There's yeah. never gonna be enough reassurance when you're deep in a pit of fear of abandonment. And then you can't sit, you can't do distress tolerance skills to like sit with that because you're just seeking it constantly from somebody Mm. else. Yeah, true. That's when I would do opposite action. Yes. Mm. But that's when I would also (laughs) reevaluate the relationship because for me, if I constantly needed to seek that from somebody, it probably meant that it wasn't really what I wanted it to be. So would you say everyone gets one reassurance and then after that it's on you? I wouldn't even no, be I'm just, kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Work on your need for reassurance. Work on checking the facts and getting real about the yeah. relationship. Don't tell yourself fantastical stories about what it yeah. is. Get out of the fantasy. Get them off the pedestal. Check the facts. Yeah. Hey, this person made a planned a vacation with me for next month. And I hang out with them and their best friends on a regular basis. They probably like me. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, like that's a good way to check the facts. Like they probably like yeah, me. Yeah. Oh, they texted me. Good morning. Beautiful. They probably right. like yeah. me. Right. It's probably okay. <laughs> oh, God. that was all I had. Um, well, have we covered well, everything we should? I think uh yeah oh this one's so. been long yeah 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 <laughs> we had a lot to say this time there this is a this is a really broad topic though yeah. uh there's a lot to cover i would not be surprised if we had to revisit this in the future yeah <laughs> um for sure yeah. but Odie, thank you so much for putting all of this information together for this episode absolutely um, and uh just so everyone knows when we record in the evening you'll get us with our silly goofies and typically yeah. we record on a morning. And so yes. I'm more like still drinking my coffee. So, but anyway, thank <laughs> you all for tuning in. Um, stay, stay secure out there. Yeah, this has been stay great. Secure. Thank you both. <laughs> Safety. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, Where? hell, wow. Look at that. Conversion.
Alright, I'm stopping this. <laughs> Thank you.